Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from October 24th, 2021. Thank you and God bless. It's great to see everyone. I'm going to start off by reading from Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, and then 10 through 17. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Moving to verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him all over the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. And he he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Habak. Now in all the land there were found, excuse me, um, read that wrong. Nowhere in all the land there were found were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughter, daughters, and he and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died, old and full of years. Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are. Um, just so grateful for another day of life. We're so uh, thankful and blessed to be here and to be able to read your word and um, to pray to you and uh, bring our, uh, our our thoughts and our concerns to you, Lord. Um, Lord, thank you for being able to sing um, and just to be together and to take communion and to just learn about you, learn about your world and your creation. Bless us with God as we as we sort of continue to this this morning, I just I ask that you bring us nearer to you, Lord. I ask that your your peace and your joy and your mercy would um, just kind of overwhelm us. Um, that we would uh, let go of the things outside of this this place uh, that overwhelm us. Uh, God, be with us as we just try to figure out how to live our lives better and to follow your son um, in a better and more uh, perfect way. Um, God, we thank you so much for the ways that you uh, just help us do that. Lord, be with those that are not here this morning. I pray that you be with those that are mourning. I pray that you be with those that are sick, those that are traveling, um, those that wanted to make it but just didn't. Uh, be with the ignorant, Lord, and be with those who are angry. 
God, may we bless those who could not be here this morning uh, with a word and encouragement. Um, we are so grateful for your son and so honored to be able to follow him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. reading from Psalms chapter 34 verses 1 through 8 and then 19 through 22. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, the context of David's psalm here is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 uh, <coughs> describing David uh, acting insane to be able to escape from the Philistines. And so uh, there is precedent of our national leaders' behaviors today, just so you know. First one, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. so much uh, joyful chatter out there this morning uh, in the parking lot. I, I was late getting in here, uh, enjoying all that. So in recent weeks, you might have noticed that our Old Testament readings have gone through the book of Job. So what I'd like to do this morning is read the Job story through the lens of the gospel reading and kind of merge those together. But I'd, I'd like to warn us all that, that Job's a little complicated and involves some spiritual discernment. So kids, it's like when you've been doing some uh, math and subtraction, but then they start bringing in the long division or maybe the multiplying of fractions, which I'm still trying to figure out, you know, and it, it gets a little more complicated, okay? 
So Job and understanding the message of Job involves some nuance in our thinking, and but it's to teach us to be people of wisdom and to go beyond just two plus two equals four in our spiritual thinking and our spiritual discernment. So I'll set it up this way. So I had a friend whose mother died of lung cancer. And it was really sad and it was really tragic, especially her suffering in her final days. And my friend commented on how often they were asked if she had been a cigarette smoker. They were asked that all the time. And you might have already thought, as soon as I said lung cancer, your brain might have automatically gone uh, to smoker. Um, you know, decades ago, we, we didn't associate those things, but obviously for quite some time, we, we have associated those things. And my friend would say, he and his mother got asked all the time, now, was she a smoker? Now, here's the thing. She was not a smoker. They had no idea why she got lung cancer. She just did like she just got lung cancer she seemingly had done nothing uh, to deserve it and i talked with my friend a long time about why is it that we're all drawn to asking was she a cigarette smoker and when we say no she never smoked there's kind of this Ugh, now we don't know the cause and i wonder if some of it's this we like cause and effect we like the idea that you reap what you sow because there is a there's a moral clarity to it and it's it's neat and tidy and you can base your life on it and you can plan and you can live in such a way that is um, that is foreseeable right and, and there's a security with that and life does sometimes work more than sometimes life often works with cause and effect at play like we often do reap what we sow, but not all those times. And in those times, people can be severely misunderstood. And you also have to wonder, if a smoker dies of lung cancer, is it somehow less sad than when a non-smoker dies of lung cancer? So consider all that's going on with COVID. You know, I've known many who have tested positive and two reactions often surface. The first reaction is just, just fear, right? Because we know the numbers and it's, it's hurt a lot of people, obviously. And so there's a lot of fear with people I've known when they test positive. The second reaction is really interesting, specifically in our social circles, right? Of people that have been very vigilant with masks and vaccines and stuff. The second reaction is often embarrassment. Like I will be so embarrassed to tell people and to have to call people, I just want you to know I was a close contact. And it's all this social embarrassment because there's this, what did you do? You know, and I've even found myself, I'll hear somebody got COVID, I'm like, what did they do? You know, and I'm like, oh, like I've got to be careful the, the tone of my the tone of my voice here. And so, and so obviously, back to the idea of cause and effect, you reap what you sow. If someone has been very cavalier about masks and the vaccine or something, um, Maybe there's a cause and effect at play, but like I know people have been very vigilant and they had a breakthrough case or something. It's been interesting to see the news media on all this because when someone dies, we're often told, um, or word often gets out, do they have a pre-existing condition? Were they vaccinated? And, and, like, and on one level, I understand that because you're trying to get the facts and various things like that. But on another level, I sometimes worry, does it paint the picture that it's not as tragic if 
than underlying condition or they weren't vaccinated or something. And I wonder how much of this is we crave cause and effect. And in this time of cultural chaos, we're losing a sense of cause and effect and we don't know what to do with that. So we're trying to construct strict patterns of you reap what you sow as a way to make, to make sense of this. Sometimes bad things just happen and we don't know why. And when we want an explanation but none surfaces, perhaps that's when our faith is revealed. So in the cultures in which the Bible was written and passed down, and I'll make the case that maybe we haven't advanced as much as we think, but in the cultures in which the Bible was passed down, most operated out of very strict cause and effect slash blame thinking, very much blame the victim type of thinking. If you were sick or poor, it was most likely your fault. In the well-known story in John chapter 9, when Jesus encounters the blind man, do you remember what his disciples say when they're, they're immediately trying to figure out the cause of the blindness? Why is he blind? And they look at Jesus and say, did he sin or did his parents sin? And we're thinking, none of us have ever wondered that, you know, when we encounter someone with, with that situation. But they operate out of a strict, somebody must have caused this. And Jesus just waves them off. Like, no, like that's, that's not what's going on. They're obsessed with the why. What we're going to see in these stories is Jesus is much more concerned with the who. Temptation to focus on the why. Jesus is much more concerned with the who. And so I want you to think about that as, as a backdrop. We're going to be moving towards the story of Job. Think about Jesus' interaction with the blind man in John 9 as we read this story of an interaction with a blind man in Mark 10. So our readings in the bulletin, if you want to stand with me for our gospel reading this morning, this is Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. And if you'd like to join with me in the bold section, feel free. <clears throat> then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Together, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Thank you. This is God's word. You may now be seated. So I love this story in so many ways. It's actually a story I go back to often because I think it's so encouraging this interaction with Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And, and I never want to turn you know, Jesus into just a Christmas list, but there are times I have things I want Jesus to do, and Jesus' charitable, kind, sweet response towards him, I find really encouraging. But this morning, I want us to focus on the idea of sight in this passage, both physical sight and spiritual sight. Because the blind man cannot physically see, and yet he sees so much, Right? He can see who Jesus is, not with his eyes, but with, with his heart, with his spiritual wisdom. He knows Jesus. And so when he calls out to Jesus, he's expressing spiritual sight. Jesus can see its spiritual sight, and that's why Jesus can say, your faith has healed you. 
Because he can see spiritually, Jesus gives him the ability to see physically. Now, those surrounding him that can see physically, they cannot see spiritually. They're very perturbed that this man is calling out to Jesus because he was a low, marginalized social status because they assumed he must have done something or somebody must have done something for him to be um, in this situation. It's very much a blame the victim scenario. And so they wanted him to be quiet because all they could see was physically and they blamed him. So because they couldn't see, they could see physically, but they, they could never see spiritually. And so that's why you see this, this divide in the story. They want to blame in silence, but then we realize they're the ignorant ones. They're the ones that can't see Jesus. They can physically see him, but they can't really see him because they don't see him spiritually. And you don't really, you can't really see Jesus until you can see him spiritually. The, fo- the story, once again, focuses a lot more on the who than the why. So let's now consider the story of Job. We talked weeks about the story of Job, how the story of Job functions, to what level we should interpret various things about it. We're just going to go quickly and try to compare it to the story of the blind man here. So as Job opens, he's a very wealthy man. Chapter 1, it lists all of, his, all of his livestock that he has. And every time I read that, I'm like, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> but for them, like, that was, that was great wealth because we're like, I don't want to take care of that many camels, okay, <laughs> or that many cows. But this was to demonstrate his wealth and the number of children. Children, like, it was a sense of prosperity. I think he had, like, ten kids or something. Um, moreover, he feared God and walked a blameless life. And the way that that is phrased here does not mean he never sinned, but he, but he was a, he was morally upright. So we would say about Bill Crouch in this very space this past week, he was a blameless man. And we're not saying he was perfect, but we're saying, oh my goodness, he was an obedient man. And, th- and that's how Job was. And that's, that's important because it comes back later. He's not trying to say he's sinless in the story. So then what happens, the story drifts, it's this very odd type of thing, it's very, it's very unclear, like I'm not, I think we have to be careful about suggesting this is what typically always happens when we experience hardship in this life, okay, but I think the story has a purpose in it, which we're going to try to unpack this morning, but it drifts to this spiritual court where it appears that angels and even Satan are coming to appear before God, and God does a very interesting thing, he brags to Satan about Job, which begs an interesting question, like, you know, has, has God ever bragged to people about you? you know, I had someone ask me that question, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna, I may be convicted about that later. But, um, but anyway, he brags about Job, and he's like, have you seen this guy? Oh my goodness, he's so, he's so amazing the way he obeys. And Satan goes, of course he obeys. All you do is give him, you know, cupcakes and cotton candy and butterflies. Like, of course, this guy obeys you like he's never had anything hard happen to him. Okay? And uh, so it's, it's deconstructing this, this notion of, uh, of how good times are, are linked to faith. Okay? So Job looks at him and says, I mean, God, God looks at Satan and says, uh-uh. Like, this guy's the real deal. He'll obey me even if bad things happen. And he's like, you know, one of that. So, yeah, okay, so you can cause bad things. Just don't lay a finger on him. So then multiple tragedies ensue at the hand of Satan, okay? And so there's storms and fire and violent neighbors. He loses all of his kids in tragic fashion. 
all of his wealth. He's incredibly poor. He's incredibly poor and he's lost everything. And he gives one of the most moving responses in all of scripture, which is seared into my mind in the King James. And I will probably always say this in the King James, right? But naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job refuses to curse God. So for those keeping score at home, round one, God won, Satan zero. So then Satan returns to God, kind of licking his chops, and God brags again about Job's obedience. And Satan responds, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, he hasn't suffered. Bad things have happened, but he hasn't suffered. And God's like, I tell you, he's the real deal. Like, he's gonna obey. He obeys because of who I am, not because of what I give him. Boy, this makes us think a lot about why are we obeying God? What's our relationship with God? You know, okay. So he says, you can touch him, just don't kill him. So Satan goes and he inflicts Job with painful boils and sores all over his body. Job's wife gives up. She's like, you just need to curse God and die. And Job responds, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And he refuses to curse God. So round two, God two, Satan zero. It's going, going well for God's bet. But yeah, Job is really struggling. So Job's three buddies come and visit him. And when they see him, it's far worse than they'd even imagine. And they sit down with him. And for seven days and seven nights, no one says anything. And then they talk and it all goes downhill. So reminder, especially for an extrovert like me, you know, sometimes silence is better. Okay. <laughs> than saying, than speaking or at least saying the wrong thing. So Job speaks first, and he grieves, he mourns, he curses the day of his birth. He's like, I'm not perfect, but I ain't done anything to deserve this, right? I haven't done anything. And his friends, instead of being compassionate, they come at him with a cause and effect, blame the victim mindset. Job, things like this don't just happen. You must have done something to deserve this. It's not the way the world works. You reap what you sow. Specifically, you see evidence of this. Job chapter 4, verse 8. Job chapter 4, verse 8. His friend Eliphaz says, Those who sow trouble, reap it. And so they literally tell him, You reap what you sow, Job. You're experiencing trouble. Just tell, go ahead and admit it. Tell us what you did. He's like, Heck, not perfect. I haven't done anything to deserve this, though. And uh, they go round and round for about 30 chapters, which, which we won't detail. It's very long. And then God speaks. The story says God speaks out of the storm, out of the whirlwind. And every time I get to this part, even though I've heard it all my life, I'm like, God is going to tell Job about the bet. It's all going to make sense to Job, and Job is going to be comforted. And I think I interpret it that way because I think... think if I knew why, I would be able to endure it better. In my whole life, I wanted to know why. I really, I've tried to figure out why. And so I keep thinking, oh, he's going to tell me, he's going to say, we won, Job, we won, but he doesn't do that. Instead, God talks about creation for two or three chapters. I created this, I created this, I created this, I created this. Were you there when I created that? Didn't think so. Were you there when I created that? Didn't think so. And he just talks about creation. It's a little emotional because you're like, just tell him. What does creation have to do with this? 
Just tell him. And uh, many times in my life, I've gone to God's response, and it has been, that means very respectful, it's been underwhelming compared to what I would like to hear from God. And yet, and this is, this is really incredible to think about, God's answer is enough for Job. Job has a very different response to the answer than I have to the answer. Specifically, and, and this was our opening reading, so I won't read the whole thing, but specifically verse 5, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Because in the response, he's like, I have encountered the living God, I have seen God, and he's comforted. He's comforted by his experience with God. And he can see him. Because what he really wanted was to see. Just like the man in Mark 10. What do you want? I want to see. And in both cases, there are people in the story who are physically, physically can see, but they are blind to the spiritual reality. And then there are others that can truly see God. And if you can see God, there's a difference. There's a difference. The story ends with God criticizing Job's ways. It says, Job never sinned in his response, but his friends really messed up by pushing that cause and effect works 100% of the time. You always reap what you sow 100% of the time. So if you're suffering, it must be your fault in the blaming the victim scenario. They really get called out here. And God says, you need to pray for your friends. You need to make a sacrifice for them, which Job does. Chapter 42, verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. To quote the prophet Joel, God restored the years the locusts had eaten, right? So what's the lesson for us? Sometimes, perhaps even often, life works through a cause and effect framework. If you play in the street, you're more likely to get hit by a car. If you smoke, you're more likely to get lung cancer. If you study, you're more likely to do better on the test. If you work hard, you're more likely to be successful. If you eat right and exercise, you're more likely to be healthy. If you treat people nice, you're more likely to have good relationships. And if you serve God, you're more likely to have a peaceful life, a good life. But not always. Sometimes people get lung cancer who never smoked. Sometimes people get COVID who are really careful. Sometimes people study hard and still don't do well on the test. Sometimes people work hard and still find themselves poor. Sometimes people are innocent and still wind up in prison. Sometimes people are nice and still have bad relationships. And sometimes we serve God and yet still go through hard things. And that is the complexity of life, this side of heaven. So we must be careful about teaching pure cause and effect thinking. But this makes me uncomfortable because as I raise my children, as I talk to the teens at Ackland, like... You normally reap what you sow, like, so wisely, because you will, like, make good decisions, because it normally affects you, but, but not 100% of the time. So here's an example that probably a lot of us remember of pushing something into this 100% cause and effect, but seeing how this is not healthy. So Proverbs 22.6 says, Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a lot of us, that was the main verse about Christian parenting when I was a child. And the way the book of Proverbs operates, these are wise sayings that are normally true. But it's, it's not like a math problem or a scientific formula where 100% of the time it's true, because we've all seen 
godly, amazing parents. And we're like, how did their kids turn out that way? And the kids just make poor choices. And But when we say that Proverbs 22 caused effect 100% of the time, we, we put this blame on parents that have done great. And then they're kind of like, what did I do that my kid turned out this way? And you want to say, your kid made bad choices. It's not your fault, right? Now, once again, Proverbs 22.6 is normally true. Like, you should raise up a child in the way they should get, like, we should obey these passages. These are very wise. We just have to be very careful about the blame game later. So I think as we close, I think three things very quickly come into focus. We may never know the why this side of heaven. But we can know the who. And the who is Jesus. The blind man saw Jesus, and Job saw God. You may never get the answers you're looking for, and I know that is hard. There are some questions I've been trying to figure out answers to for a long time, and I'm very disappointed I haven't found those answers. And yet, sometimes my obsession with the why gets in the way of my peace. But when I see Jesus, I feel 100% peace. And this morning, as we near the table, we can see Jesus. And that is meant to be an encounter that brings us peace, that brings us joy. Second, don't be Job's friends. <laughs> they are the villains of the story. I mean, Satan obviously is the villain. Don't be Satan either, right? But um, don't be Job's friends. People that operate out of very strict reproducible scenarios, blame game, blame the victim, cause and effect 100% of the time, like have some nuance. This is not 2 plus 2 equals 4. This is multiplying fret. Well, I guess multiplying. Anyway, the analogy breaks down. My point is, it's complicated. And so let's be charitable towards each other. And when people are suffering, we grieve with them, whether we think they deserve it or not. No matter what they've done. If somebody's hurting, we are called to grieve with them and we are called to mourn. No matter what they did previously about all kinds of things. And third, this is the true hope of the passage. Job ended up with twice as much in the end as at the beginning. And God restored the blessings to him because he was faithful. So if we have a big picture view of time, and if we think of life eternally... We think of new heavens and new earth. Like we know the direction history is going. We don't measure time. Bill does not measure time by when he took his last breath, but the fact that he's, he's with Jesus now. Which is, incidentally, I joked with Bob Hoskins, when it looks like UT might win that game last night in the fourth quarter against Alabama, I thought, maybe this is what happens when Bill crouches in heaven, right? Anyway, Bob enjoyed that. But anyway... If we look at life from the perspective of eternal life, here's what we need to know. And here's what we can bank on. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And you're going to live with Jesus forever. No matter what you're going through right now. And I know we're still going through a lot of things. We're going to live with Jesus forever. Job chapter 42 
is going to happen to you. So the question is, do we have our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Because if, if we do, we can say this in hope. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. still needs to get communion, it's uh, available there in the back. The day of unleavened bread arrived, and when the Passover had to be sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John with this task, go and prepare for us to eat the Passover meal. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? Jesus replied, When you go into the city, a man carrying water, a water jar will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters. Say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will show you a large upstairs room already furnished. Make preparations there. They went and found everything just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover meal. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray again. Lord, we come before you this morning remembering what you have done for us, Lord, for Jesus' body that was broken for us, Lord, for his blood which was poured out and washes us clean and represents the new covenant that you have made with us, Lord, that the bonds of sin and death are broken. Uh, that we are closer to the end than we are at the beginning. And, and Lord, that your kingdom has come and that we are a part of that kingdom. Lord, be with us as we take this this morning. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen.
Closing reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 23. And the others who became priests were numerous, because death prevented them from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, since he lives forever. So he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. For it is indeed fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to do every day what those priests do, to offer sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this in offering himself once for all. For the law appoints as high priests men subject to weakness, but the word of solemn affirmation that came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that you've blessed us with today to praise you, praise your son, and to encourage one another. We pray that we will, we will see you with us throughout this week be encouraged to reflect your love to those around us. Father, help us to look for those who need you. Help us to, to be for them what they need in that moment. Help us to be present and to always see ourselves before your throne. Help us to be guided by your word and to look for your spirit. Father, please be with those among us who are hurting and suffering, especially with Sister Wagner and Sister Corley and Sister Joyce. Father, watch over each of us throughout this week and help us as we travel home to be safe. Thank you for your son Jesus and for his sacrifice. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church. A plethora of stuff to cover today. First, we want to be mindful and keep in our thoughts and our prayers uh, Trisha, Esther, and Mariah Mullins. Uh, as Trisha's father, Terry Greer, passed away 
uh, this past week. So please uh, remember them in your prayers. We'll also uh, continue in that mindset on the prayers and, and praises. Um, and uh, our missionaries, um, Byron Benitez and Hawatha Jones, have run into a variety of challenges um, and, and a lot of it's health related right now. So we wanna make sure that we're uh, beseeching God on their behalf. Um, Joyce Rutledge, Chrissy Wagner, among others are on our list. We want to continue to keep them before us. You know, it dawned on me this morning uh, as I was talking with a few people. The talents that you have are enough. The gifts that you have and that, that is inside of you is enough. Your presence here is enough. We can all do something and what you do is enough. You know, your prayers are a lot, and they mean a lot. You know, Daniel, Clay, Andrew, thank you for your work on the, uh, the sidewalk out there. Your talents are enough. Those that helped the Hoskins this weekend, your talents are enough. Those of you who played um, uh, dodgeball this weekend, your <laughs> gifts are enough. Um, there are lots of opportunities here uh, as small as a congregation we are compared to some of those mega churches out there. What you do is important and we're thankful for how you play a role. And if your talents have you leading in a different way, please let us know so that we can plug you in. Uh, whether that's cleaning, whether it's praying, whether it's helping, helping with Afghan refugees coming up in the, this coming year, room at the inn, uh, sign up someone out. Um, you know, we can, Use help with food, staying the night, among other things. Hosting a Wednesday night gathering. Uh, by the way, that's going to be at Robbie and Randy's Friday's this, uh, this weekend. Small groups, being present uh, and, and engaging with those there. Helping out with the fall retreat. Uh, that's coming up mid-November. We do need somebody to help out in planning meals. Uh, we'd love to have you there. You know, Deloney's are hosting us this evening for our, uh, our fall get-together. We're thankful. Again, your talents, your presence here is enough. So don't, don't ever think that you, you aren't contributing because you are. Um, you know, again, reminder, 3.30 to 6.30 this evening at the Deloney's. Uh, just for, for reference, it's roughly about 45 minutes from here. Um, so, you know, just plan accordingly time-wise. If you've got extra chairs, we'd, uh, we'd appreciate them. Um, there was a food sign up there. If you didn't get a chance to see it, I don't know, just bring something, bring yourself, and we'll be fine, we'll have fun. You can't dress up, it's fine. Paul, I'm looking forward to your outfit. Um, birthdays this week, Laura Sullivan is tomorrow. Anna Copeland, the day after that. Then Miss Judy Jackson and Jeremy Martin are also down on that list. Hope you have a chance to celebrate with them and, and share your love with them. If you weren't able to uh, um, come for the Crouches event on Tuesday, it was glorious. There was a lot of great people that were here. It was it was fun to see some faces that, that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, Miss Judy, Miss uh, Dot, Fran. It was like uh, it was like old times for me at least uh, here in the building. Uh, Paul Prill was up at the pulpit again. It was glorious. I feel like I diverged a little bit. 
Did I miss anything, church? JP. If you haven't filled out a, a volunteer form for just worship roles and various things, stuff like that, I've, I've got them if you're walking out this morning. Love to include you uh, on the November, December list as part of our, our worship order. He's peddling, so he's going to give you a form that basically means. There is, uh, there is coffee, there's class, and a chance to connect. Thank you, church. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.